So we're jumping into a series, a little two-week series called Open Hands. And when you think of open hands, you know, you think of someone who's either ready to receive something or give something. So that's the whole premise of open hands is uh, having a posture that's ready to give and receive. Okay. In Matthew 10, verse 8, this is a, kind of the key verse for this whole series is, Give as freely as you have received. Or the NIV version, it's probably the more familiar version of that. Freely you have received, so freely give. Before I jump in any farther, though, I just want to pray as we're going to dive in here real quick. Laura, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is alive and powerful today. Thank you that it has the ability to speak to us in very real ways. So, Lord, we just pray that as we get into your word today, that you would use it, that it would be blessed as it hits people's ears and hearts, God. And I just pray that even for myself, that you'd be speaking to me this morning as well, and that all of us together would just get something out of what we're diving into this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So everything has been given to us by God. And for those kids out there, that's your number one clue, everything. I'm giving you one. That's the free one. The rest you're not getting. So everything has been given to us by God. I've got a challenge right now that I have to do my best apparently, so I'm putting it back on you guys, all right? So that's what that is. You got one free one. Last week was Thanksgiving, and it was so good to give thanks for everything that God has given us. It's that posture of open hands where we're, we've received many things in our lives from God, and it's that time where we can give him thanks for all of those things. You know, things like basic necessities to live, uh, spiritual gifts that he's given us that we're able to bless others with, as well as individual abilities, interests, and passions. These are all things that God has given us and that we're able to be thankful for. So I love Thanksgiving. It's just, it's that moment where um, we can be intentional, intentional about gratitude and Thanksgiving. But if we look into the Bible... And we, we can see many different places in there where God has given things or God has placed things into people's hands. You know, we look at in the very beginning when Adam and Eve were created, God used, breathed his breath of life into Adam. Breathed his breath of life into Adam. That was something that he put in Adam's hands, in a sense. He gave him life. You know, in the Garden of Eden, God gave dominion to Adam and Eve. He gave them dominion over the birds of, of the air. I almost said birds of the sea. That would be really messed up. Be scary. Uh, birds of the air and the fish of the sea, right? We saw where God at, told them to take ownership and stewardship of the earth. He gave them that responsibility. Again, that was a gift from God. God supplied a ram to sacrifice for Abraham instead of his son. That's a crazy story to look up. If you ever want to, it's in Genesis 22. But basically, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they were old, and a long time before that, God had promised them a son. Hand come, hand come, hand come. They're old, old people now, like older than basically anyone here. And God finally gave them that son. And then it came to a point where all of a sudden, God says to Abraham, hey, I want you to take your son and you're going to sacrifice him to me. And it was a test of faith for Abraham. And he said, okay, Lord. He went up, 
was about was ready to sacrifice his son, and he said to his son, God will provide. And God sure did. He said, stop, hold on, Abraham, don't do it. Corbin, I don't want to ever be in that position with you, don't worry. But he said, <laughs> right? You all know what I'm saying. But God said, stop, I've, there's a ram in the bush there for you. Go get it, sacrifice that instead. God supplied, God gave him a ram, put it in his hands. Um, I love reading also about the stories of Elijah and Elisha. Does anyone else love reading stories about those guys? What a crazy, adventurous, wild life those guys lived. Um, but in 2 Kings verse, or chapter 4, we see the story of Elijah helping a poor widow. I love this story. And the only thing that she had in her hands at that time was a flask of oil. Just a flask of oil. That's all she had. Um, and in 2 Kings 4, verse 1 to 7, I'm actually going to read this one. It says this, because it's that good. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Now, if that was me, I would definitely have some panic. If someone was coming to me and saying, hey, you owe me a ton of money, I'm going to take your kids. I'm going to do everything in my power to stop that from happening. And that was the same thing with her. What can I do to help you, Elijah asked. Tell me what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. Just that one flask of olive oil, a little small amount of oil. If anyone's ever, like, gone to cook something and you go grab the, the bottle of olive oil and go to, like, put it in the pan and realize there's nothing in it, that would suck. But she had a little bit still. There was a little bit in the flask still. So Elijah said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one another. Soon every jar was full to the brim. I think I missed typing a part in there. She actually did shut the door behind her, though. It said that. <laughs> I missed typing that in there. She shut the door behind her. She did everything that she was told to do. And then she said, bring me another jar, she said to her sons. There aren't any more, he told her, and the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God, Elijah, what had happened? He said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. So she had this little jar of olive oil, this little small amount, and God had put that in her hands, and God used that to fill as many jars as her sons could bring back to the house. And then I actually find this part kind of funny. Elijah told them to sell the oil, which was in the jars that were borrowed. So, <laughs> just saying, if someone asks to borrow a jar, make sure you're going to get it back. But, uh, <laughs> but it's cool how God gave her that little bit of oil and the faith. He gave her faith as well to say, I'm going to take it. I'm going to do what I've been told to do. I'm going to be obedient to that. I'm going to pour it out, and God will provide. You know, we also see that God gave David everything he needed to defeat Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to jump into that story a little bit too because I love the story of David and Goliath. Um, but then moving to the New Testament, we see in 2 Peter verse 1 to 3, Peter says this about what God has given us. 
by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. He's put that in our hands. Paul makes this statement as well in Philippians 4.13. This is a very familiar verse to us. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That does not mean, kids, and I used to think this when I was young, that if, God, if I want to fly, God's given me that strength. No, he did not. <laughs> I wish. I wish I could fly, but I can't. That's talking about giving me everything I need to accomplish the mission and the purpose God has given us in our lives. Paul goes on to say in Philippians 4.19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So not only can Paul say that God will supply him with everything, he's saying that same promise, that same truth is applicable to all of us as well. So good. But that all leads to a question. God's given us all these things, and he's put different things in different ones of our hands. Yes, he's given some things to each and every single one of us the same, but there's also individual things that he's given to different ones, different abilities and passions and things like that. So it brings the question, what has God given us that we can use? What's he put in my hand specifically? What's he put in your hand specifically to use? And this is where I love this story of David and Goliath. And uh, so I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 to 50, where the main part of the text that I'm going to read from. But just to give the little brief recap, um, the Israelites are facing off against the Philistine army, okay? They're on separate sides of the war. They're getting ready to go battle against each other. And then the Philistine army has this giant of a man named Goliath who comes out and just every single day taunts and badmouths and puts down the Israelites saying, basically, none of you have a chance against me. You only have one champion that could match my might. So send someone out so I can kill him, and then you're all going to be our slaves, is basically what he was saying. But picking up the story in 1 Samuel 17, 32, David had just recently arrived on the scene. He was basically bringing his brother some pizza, because it said cheese and bread, so I put that together. That's pizza to me. But uh, he was bringing them some food, just, uh, and while he was there, he witnessed Goliath come out and do his thing, and he was like, what gives? Where's... Where is God in all of this? So he says this to King Saul at the time. He says, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. I got this. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented, all right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. 
So David made his case. Saul agreed. Sure, let's do this thing. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such things before. I've tried on some clothes at some stores, and I've tried, I put them on, I tried them out, and I'm like, this ain't me. Not happening. Caitlin's been there with me. She's like, just try, just try. I'm like, no, this is not me. Oh, Lord, there's been things I've tried on. Nothing weird. Come on, guys. But he said, I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. No, a lot of the time, and even in Sunday school or kids' church, I grew up with the impression that David was just this little tiny kid facing off against Goliath, and that the reason he didn't put on Saul's armor was because it was too big for him. Now, while it says that Saul was a man that was a head taller than everyone else, David wasn't a little runt of a guy. He was able to take on a lion and a bear with his bare hands and club it to death, grab it by the jaw and beat it, right? That would say that he's probably bigger than me, because I wouldn't want to do that. But uh, so it wasn't about the fact that the armor was just way too big. It wasn't what was in David's hands is what it was. It wasn't the thing that he was comfortable with. It wasn't the thing that God had given him. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and his sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David and with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come at you with the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill and cut off your head. Kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran quickly to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd bang, taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. So some things to note from that story, this epic battle between David and Goliath. One was that David knew what God had put in his hand. David was a slinger, and slingers in the Old Testament were incredibly skilled at hitting targets at a long range. He knew that if he had put on Saul's armor and had the sword, he probably would have got pummeled because he wouldn't have stand a chance in close-range combat with Goliath. But with a sling, David knew that he had deadly accuracy from a long ways off. And when he picked those stones, he didn't just scoop down, grab five stones, and put them in his pocket. No, he was looking for those right, smooth stones that he knew would maintain the accuracy that he was looking for. So David knew what God put in his hands. He knew that Saul's armor was not the right thing for the job. 
The other thing about David was that he was well-practiced and proficient in whatever he did. When it came to slinging, he practiced. He would be good at slinging. He knew how to use it well. In other areas of David's life, musician, poet, shepherd, leader, he was well-practiced and well-rehearsed in what he did. He strived to be excellent at the things that were in his hands. And the final thing to note out of this story is that whatever it was that God had put in David's hands, his intention was to glorify God with it. We see it all throughout there, that it was all about God. It was all about the, the Lord of Heaven's armies. It was all about um, how this Philistine was defying God's people. And David was like, no, God, has, God is more powerful than this. God wants to overcome you. And he wasn't going to back down on that. So I, I love that story. I'm going to leave that one there. But uh, if you ever want to read it, just read it with those kind of eyes of what are all these little pieces? There's, there's like five sermons in that one story, to be honest. But uh, I love that story. I'm going to leave it now. <laughs> all right. I've got my own story to share. And this is a story about a thing that me and Caitlin used to call Generations Church. And this is something that we had done three years ago-ish, give or take. Three to four years ago, we started it. And basically, this generation's church, our old pastor would call it an experiment. He was awesome about that. He was like, we'll call it an experiment. That way, if it fails, it fails, and it's okay. It was just an experiment. But uh, <laughs> uh, we did this thing called Generations Church, and the whole heart of it was to see the generations come together and for the older generations to mentor the younger and release them into the giftings that God had given them. That was like the big picture of this thing and was to release young people to be leaders in the church. So we did this for about a year and a half. We saw some amazing things happen, but then it started getting to a point where Caitlin was quicker on it to recognize it, but she was like, I think God's asking us to stop this thing. I think that the season of this is coming to an end. And I was a little bit more stubborn. I was like, no, we got to keep pushing. We got to keep going. But then this whole concept of open hands got dropped on me by God. I got this picture of open hands, and God was saying to me, don't hold on to anything too tightly. You know, when, when you have something that God's given you, as soon as you close your hand around it, all of a sudden you can't let go. It's like a raccoon trap, right? The raccoon reaches into the trap, grabs whatever's inside, and it can't get its hand out, but refuses to let go, and then it gets caught. Same kind of idea. When God gives us something, and we close our hand around that thing and, and hold it tightly, all of a sudden, we can't let go of that to grab whatever else God was trying to give us. So sometimes, we only have something in our hand for a season, this is why the posture of open hands is so important. It says, what I have is yours, Lord, and while I have it, I will use it to the best of my ability. But if it's time to set that something down, to pick something else up, that's something that can be hard to do, but so, so important for us to do as God's people. And just like in my example of Generations Church, where this thing was, it seemed like it was a really good thing. It seemed like it was something that was going well. 
and we saw God do great things. We, we actually saw growth in individuals. We saw salvations happen. We saw amazing things start to happen in that place. We saw a community come together. And the crazy thing was it was on Monday nights. No one wants to go anywhere on a Monday night. But there were some times where we'd have 130 people come out. It was crazy. And we saw God at work. But then we also knew that that season was ending. And I had to fight myself on that one. But one thing I have to say, though, is that, you know, when, when you have something that God's given you and you're holding it with open hands and he's prompting you and telling you, you know what, you need to set this down because I've got something else for you. We got to always ask the question, if God says to set it down, we always have to ask that question. What's next then, God? What's that next thing you're trying to hand me? What's the next thing that you're, you're looking to give me out of this? And for us, there is actually, I set, we set that thing down, and there was a period of time where we were just, I had a hard year of just asking God, what's next? What is going on here? I don't feel like I'm getting anything to pick up right now. But then it started to come a little bit by little bit. The youth group actually started to flourish there again and started to grow and do some amazing things. Had a great group of kids coming out. And then we got the call to come here. <laughs> so then it was like, okay, I know it's in my hands now. I know what it is that we're supposed to be doing. This is great. And uh, I love the warm weather, by the way, here. It snowed where we used to live two weeks ago, like, and stuck on the ground like a good couple inches. So I was like, I'm blessed. I'm in a good place. <laughs> but how do we know what it is that God's put in our hands? That can be a hard thing sometimes to know. You know, there's, there's bigger things like ministry things or like um, something that's like a big passion to go do sometimes. But then there can be small things that's in our hands that, you know, some of them will carry through our whole life. You know, something like I like woodworking. It's something that I just enjoy doing. Maybe that's something God's put in my hand to use for something. And that's something that I can try and figure out. No, some questions to ask yourself would be this. What excites you? What are your passions? What are you passionate about? What comes naturally to you? That's a good question. You know, if, if you think that God's put something in your hands, but you have to fight every single minute of every day to try and figure it out, it might not actually be the thing for you. <laughs> what are you good at? These are questions to ask, and it's God has put gifts inside of us that he wants to call out and say, hey, I want you to use that thing for me now. I loved how this message kind of spins off of Caitlin's about being part of the body and serving and, and that whole idea of using what God has given us for him. I'm going to read from Romans 12, verses 4 to 8. Um, just one more time because it just helps remind us about how we're part of the body. So just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So God, if God has given you the gift or the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If your gift is giving, give generously. 
If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So good. And while all of these things are still true today, these are all applicable to us today still, there are many gifts and abilities that you could have that wouldn't have been around or applicable back in the time when this was written in its original context. For example, if you speak the language of social media, and I use the word language there accurately because it is a language, I'm not good at it, but the language of social media, then be a light to that community because social media is all about building communities virtually online. Be a light to that community. If you have the status of being tech savvy, then help others and build the kingdom. Use it. If you have a love for music, use it. If you can make a mean cup of coffee, serve it. Please serve it. <laughs> we have Tim's, and it's, it is what it is, but if you can make better coffee, I release you fully. Go for it. Do you enjoy having people over? Be hospitable and do it. Invite them over. Build relationships. Have them over and, and just spend time together. If that's you, use that gift. Know in other areas of our lives, you might have a passion for the homeless. That's a big problem in this area that we're, we're starting to realize. Like, we're new here, but there's a lot of homelessness in this area. If that is a passion of yours, be part of the solution. Start working on and developing things and finding people to bring around that problem and help be a light to it. Help shed some light and some answers on that situation. Maybe your heart aches for those that are stuck in addiction. Be there to help pull them out. Sometimes all it takes is one person to reach out their hand and say, I got you. And it can make or break that person's life. Whatever the thing is that's in your hand, work at it. Develop it. Find someone else who does it better than you and learn from them. Read about it. Study it. Practice it. You can find blogs and blogs and all kinds of stuff on them these days, but if you've got a passion, if you've got something that you feel like God's put in your hands, steward it well. You know, when I was a painter, and it feels like a really long time ago now, but I used to paint full time, I had a choice to make. It was either learn from the best person I could or choose to stay where I was and never reach a high potential. It took lots of, lots of patience, practice, and correction, but it came to the point where I was the one that was actually teaching a lot of the new guys and managing crews of eight or so guys on painting jobs and coordinating with contractors, ordering supplies, all that kind of stuff, because I took the time to hone my skills. I took the time to learn the trade, learn how it worked, all the ins and outs of it. And uh, so it's the same thing with anything that God's given us is, how can I get good at this? How can I use it to the best of my ability and to, just like David did, glorify God? The same thing could be said of learning to fish as a kid. Whoever ha Anyone had their dad help teach them how to fish? My dad did. My dad showed me how to put a worm on a hook, what lures to use, how to hold a rod, how to cast. And now I can honestly say I'm really good at sitting in a boat with a stick. I mean, fishing, right? That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. 
sometimes it feels like all you're doing is sitting there with a stick in your hand. But, uh, you know, it's, it takes practice, it takes time, and eventually, with the right person helping coach you along, you can get really good at something. I might have to spend some time with John Wall. <laughs> I, love, I love how Paul puts it in his pursuit of improving the gifts he's been given in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 27. And this is that chunk of scripture about running the race. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone, run, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. I'm competitive. If you didn't get that in the last two months of me being here, I like to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after my preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul made it very clear it's important to take what we do seriously as the church, as God's body, and to work hard at the things that God's given us. So even as we're doing all of that, as we're discovering our gifts, as we're discovering what God's put in our hands, as we're standing there with that posture of open hands saying, what you've given me, God, I'm going to use to the best of my ability, but I'm not going to hold it too tightly just in case you ask me to put it down and pick something else up. And as we're developing and growing those things as well, the one thing that we always, always, always have to do, and this is probably the most important thing of it all, is to say, to ask the question, how can I use this to glorify God? Keep that at the center. Keep that the focus. Otherwise, um, it can grow into things like pride and selfishness and all kinds of things that it was never intended to be. But when we hold it in a way with open hands saying, God, what I have is yours and I want to use it my best to glorify you, well, there's no better way to live. So hold on to what God has given us with open hands, ready to use when needed, to put down when done, and ready to pick up what he has next for us. Now, even Jesus led with open hands. He laid down his life, sacrificed himself for the sake of the world. His ministry was booming, by the way, when that all happened. He was gaining large crowds, quite the following, healings galore all over the countryside. And it came to a screeching halt when he, had, when he put that down to take up his cross. Ultimately, he let go of all of it for the greater thing that he was supposed to do. To redeem the world, taking on everyone's sin and shortcomings, and paving a way for us to have a relationship with God again. And for that, we're eternally grateful. No, you might be here, and you may have never committed to following Jesus before. But after hearing this message, maybe you can, he you can see where God has placed some gifts in you. You can see where God's put some stuff in your hands, in your wheelhouse. Um, things that you're good at, things that you're passionate about, and you can actually start to see where it's like, oh, maybe God actually did give me that thing. Maybe that is something that God's gifted me for. 
and maybe you want to unlock your full potential in it. The good news is, is that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're in. That's all it takes. It's a simple prayer of just asking God to come into your life and to commit to follow him. And by prayer, that's just, it's a conversation with Jesus. It's a conversation with God, just like I'm talking to you guys right now. It's the same thing back to him. It's just a conversation. So what I'd love to do is lead in a prayer for you, if that's you. I'll say a prayer, repeat after me, and if the whole church can do it as well, that would be awesome. But with every eye closed, every head bowed, we're going to pray. If that's you, if you could just slip your hand up while everyone's eyes are closed, then I know who I'm praying for. Awesome. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the sacrifice that you made for all of us. Today, I commit to follow you all the days of my life. Come into my heart. Lead my life. Help me to use these gifts you've given me to the best of my ability and for your glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you did that for the first time, parties going in heaven, parties going here. We're super pumped for you for doing that for the first time. So let's give a round of applause for anyone that did that for the first time. Yeah. Jesus said that, you know, those that follow him would live life to the fullest, that they'd have an abundant life. And I fully believe that living life for Jesus is like living on a crazy wild roller coaster ride. It is awesome. You know, at the end of the day, though, for all of us here, we all have gifts to use and develop. We all have things that Jesus put in our hands to use for his glory. So if everyone could stand with me right now, I'd like to pray a prayer over all of us. If we could all hold our hands out uh, like you're ready to receive a gift, I'd like to pray for each one here that God would put something fresh in our hands today and that the things that are already in our hands, that we would start to recognize those things, develop those things, and that God would give us opportunity to use those things. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each one here today. Thank you that you've brought together such a talented and amazing group of people who've been given so many gifts from you, Jesus. So God, I pray that as we're standing here with open hands, that you would just start to pour out from you new gifts, new abilities, new passions and desires, God. Pray that as we stand with open hands, that we would be presenting the gifts you've already given with open hands back to you, saying, Lord, use me. Use these gifts that you've given me. Use me to use these gifts for your glory, Jesus. God, I pray for fresh opportunities for each one here as they go through their week, that they would see opportunities to use the gifts you've given them to further your kingdom, to point people to you, Jesus, to build your kingdom. So God, we just thank you for each one that's here this morning. We pray a blessing over them and just thank you, Lord, as your church is growing and empowering and reaching the lost. In your name we pray, amen.